So this morning we're going to be returning to the passage that we read last week in John chapter 12. Uh, What we're going to be reading about occurs between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Um, And it occurs during this week uh, while Jesus is teaching in the temple. And so last Sunday we looked at verses 20 through 26. And so just as a refresher, why don't we go ahead and read through those again. Here's the verses up there on the screen. We're going to be reading John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to, to worship at the festival. And so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Well, Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so God-fearing Gentiles were in Jerusalem for the Passover. And they asked Philip if they could see Jesus. They asked for permission. So Philip and Andrew told Jesus, And when they told Jesus about the request to Jesus, that request of theirs confirmed to him that the hour of his death and resurrection had finally came. That's what Jesus heard when these Gentiles asked permission to see him. This hour, this hour of his cross, this hour of the resurrection, also is a transition We talked about this last Sunday, how this is a transition from only going to the house of Israel to also going to the Gentiles, to all nations, not just to Israel anymore. And so as we continue reading this morning, we're going to move through this passage a little further down. And as we do, Jesus is going to be transparent with his disciples about the way he's feeling. Inside Jesus is a mess. His life has been turned upside down. His heart is troubled. What is, a, what is getting ready about to happen to him is terribly upsetting. It is so upsetting that to him, to Jesus, in his humanity, in Jesus' unsinful humanity, He is wrestling with the the decision. He is wrestling with a choice. It's a choice that you and I make all of the time. His was of great magnitude, obviously. But Jesus' heart was troubled, and he told the disciples, because he was wrestling with the choice between doing what he wants to do, doing what he feels like doing, or doing what he ought to do. Doing what he knows that he should do. And I think all of us can relate to that. We all know what it's like to do something that we know we're not supposed to do. 
think we can all relate to that. It can be something as, as small as breaking your diet, repeating gossip, not telling the truth. Returning to a bad habit, all of us know what it's like to be confronted with something that we want to do that we know we shouldn't. This is what Jesus, Jesus was dealing with. Because what God was asking him to do was unpleasant. It was like, you know, I want you to put your hand in the fire. It was contrary to, to, to who he was as a person. Why would you ever want to do that? No, I don't want to do that. In a very real sense, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. All of us know what it's like to act like everything's okay, but inside we're hurting. Everything's not okay. We're smiling on the outside, but we're not smiling on the inside. We all know what that's like too. Finances, our bills, our relationships, problems that we have with our with each other. Um, there's nothing worse than being in an argument with somebody, especially someone you're really close to. I think the absolute worst thing in the world is for me is when I'm in an argument with my wife. I can't stand it. And I might go to work some some morning when my wife and I have had a little thing. And I I don't show that at work. But inside, I'm tore up. What happens if you get a, a bad report from the doctor? It's not the report you wanted. Or you're worried that you're going to get a bad report. You know, there's all kinds of things that happen in our lives that wipe the smile off our face inside. But we act like everything's cool. It's like that beautiful swan gliding across the top of that lake. But inside, below that water, those feet are just a-going. And Jesus didn't do that. He said, I'm really upset here, you guys. My heart is hurting. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus want them to know what was going on inside? You have to remember that Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross. It was the plan. It's always been the plan. There's never a time when Jesus wasn't going to go to the cross. But in his humanity, it was unnatural. It was contrary to common sense, contrary to logic. Why would you want to go do something like that? And so in his humanity, there was a real sense there where he was, I don't know if he had cold feet, but it wasn't exciting to him. And so he was confronted with, with God asking him to do something that he didn't want to do. God might ask you to not do something. Or he might ask you to do something. And it's maybe going to be a little uncomfortable for you. Might have to change your, your schedule. Might have to actually sacrifice some time. Maybe a little more money. Who knows? God might say, I want you to step out of your comfort zone and talk to your neighbor. That person at work that you've been around for so long, have you, have you ever talked to them? Have you ever tried to talk to them? Sometimes God asks us to do things. Obviously, nothing like what he was asking of Jesus. But he does ask us to do things that are uncomfortable sometimes. Well, the reason Jesus did this, the reason he told the disciples, is because he wanted them to know. And he wanted them to know 
so that he could show them what it's like to, to work through your feelings, but at the same time, maintaining your priority. And, you know, you'll hear people say, uh, I know God put me on this earth for a reason. Uh, well, there's a reason. There's one reason. It's the driving primary priority of Jesus. And for everyone who follows him, it should be the same. We should have one priority in our life that overrides all of the rest. And this is why Jesus exposed this, to show us that even though he was working through his feelings, his priority was ironclad. The priority is to glorify God with your life. That is our purpose, to glorify God with our life. And we're going to read a couple more verses here. Verses 27 and 28. Jesus is now telling the disciples how he feels. He says, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I will glorify it and I will glorify it again. What an emotional week this was for Jesus, you know. As a parent, I've watched my children move out of my house. Time I had with them. Never be the same. I've said goodbye to my dad, my brother, my grandma both of my dad's parents. Jesus had spent so much time with these guys every day. And it was coming to a close. And we can remember how emotional Jesus was when he raised Lazarus from the tomb in Bethany and Every day he would come back home to Bethany to marry Martha and, and Lazarus. But on Thursday when he left, he wasn't coming back there. When he went to Jerusalem, he wasn't leaving Jerusalem. At least on that side of the cross, on that side of the resurrection. And this is what we're focusing on. It's the way Jesus was feeling. He was saying goodbye to people he loved dearly. We remember Luke in Luke chapter 19, it tells us that when he left Bethany and he's at the top of the Mount of Olives and you get you begin to descend the, the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem and you go down that Kidron Valley and you come up into Mount Moriah into the temple. So when he was, it tells us that Luke 19.44, it says that as he was beginning to descend, Jerusalem just laid out in front of his eyes. You just imagine and it tells us that he, he started crying. And he started crying. Um, because the people didn't recognize the time of their visitation. There was an opportunity and they were going to miss it. 
On Monday morning, he went into the temple, and what he saw was so outrageous that he cleansed it. High emotions. What was going on in God's house was disgusting. That week, Judas was going to betray him. The multitudes were going to turn on him, and he was going to be crucified. And to be crucified was torture on purpose. It was designed to prolong your agony. And the Romans did this as a deterrent. But that's not all. This was a very supernatural week because what Jesus was getting ready to experience is something that none of us can even begin to understand. And that is that when Jesus was on the cross, He was separated from the Father. He was separated from Him in a way that we can't understand. And during that separation, something that had never happened to Him before, in that separation, He was bearing the sins of the world. And Jesus was going to experience and feel and suffer the wrath of God on sin and death in the world and the ruler of this world. And so Thursday night after uh, they had the, had the supper, Jesus was, he was destroyed inside. He was so sad. And so he wanted a place to go pray. And so they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, will you guys come with me? I want you guys to pray with me. And uh, when we went through the Gospel of Mark, you'll remember that when we got to the Passion Week, we all read it together. So I didn't preach messages all through it. We read it together. Um, and uh, then the next Sunday we had our... <clears throat> Uh, but anyway, in, uh, <clears throat> in Mark 14, where it's telling us about when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, he, he said to them, uh, he said, you guys, my soul, my soul is swallowed in sorrow to the point of death. Pray with me. And then when Jesus went and prayed, he said, Abba, Father, you can do all things. Take this cup from me. That wasn't God's will. And so Jesus said, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. In our passage this morning, Jesus says the same thing. We're not to Thursday yet. It's not Thursday night yet. He's still in the temple. And Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Because Jesus was determined to remain loyal to the Father. He said, Father, glorify your name. And so he's telling the disciples that he's got this troubled heart. He's going through this rough spot. And he's let them know how he feels. But he says, you guys, you know what? Father, glorify your name in me. And the second he did that, boom, God's voice spoke from heaven. I have glorified my name in you. And I will glorify my name in you again. God wants us to know that we're supposed to choose God's glory over whatever else it is that might seem more important to us. 
Jesus did that. That's why he's so special. He's one of a kind. That's why he is our example. And that's why we all need him to be our substitute. To take our place. Because we can't do it. None of us are like him. Well, what does this mean anyway to glorify God? What does that mean? Glorify, glorify God with your life. What does that mean anyway? It, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Father, glorify your name. What does that mean? All of us, if we'll just think about this, all of us are very self-centered. All of us are. And that's by necessity. Because we absolutely do have to look out for ourselves. So much of our time is spent taking care of ourselves. We take a lot of work. And so it makes us self-centered in that respect. But because we are sinners, the whole concept of doing everything else for somebody else doesn't really resonate inside. That's not really us. And then to think that somebody, uh, you know, and then to, to worship somebody else, that's even worse. What, what kind of a God, you know, what kind of a God needs us to worship Him anyway? I'm supposed to live my life to glorify Him. Okay. But when we approach this subject like that, it's because we are approaching it from the back end instead of the front end. The back end is when we're looking at the result of the front end. The back end is when you see people worshiping God, going to church and praying and, and not doing certain things and depriving themselves of things that might be easier, funner, whatever, whatever. I think all of us have tried to do all of those things that we thought were funner and found out that they really aren't. But the world, when they see us, you know, our lives are foolish. So when you look at things from the back end, you're looking at the result because the front end, the front end of, of, of this, of the God's glory, is truly appreciating who God is and what it is that He's done for us. Again, all of us can relate to what it's like to not be appreciated. Husband wives say it to each other until the end of time. You feel like the boss doesn't appreciate it. You know, you've got ten people at work, and six of them don't do anything. They just skate on through life, flying under the radar, not doing anything. And they get the same amount of pay as this person over here who's doing everything. Sometimes the reward for doing a good job is more work. I don't feel appreciated. We all know what that's like. We, we know what it's like for someone to, to misunderstand us, mischaracterize us, lie about us, cheat on us, take us for granted, take advantage of us. Nobody likes that. We don't like to not be appreciated. When I clean the bathroom at home, I want my wife to say, wow, good job. But, uh, the truth is that my version of cleaning the bathroom is not her version, so I don't really get that too much. But uh, I still want it. 
I still want credit. That's at the heart of this, because God just wants us to see him as he truly is. And when you do that, it's quite the humbling experience, isn't it? It changes the back end. Think of a time when, you know, God's the same way. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. He doesn't want to be mischaracterized. He doesn't want to, uh, to not be trusted or questioned. Just appreciate it. You get it. This guy, this lady gets me. Well, just think of a time when someone has done something for you that was so nice and you just truly appreciated it so much that you had to thank them. Couldn't, couldn't rest until you thought that, thank that person. Just try to think of a time when someone's done something for you so much that you so much appreciated it that you had to thank them. Well, that's a really good place for all of us to start in understanding what it means to give God glory. This fellow here is uh, the late Ralph Kiefer. He was born legally blind. He had very poor vision in only one eye. And when he was a teenager, after he graduated from high school, he got saved. Someone invited him to a Bible conference. And Donald Gray Barnhouse was the speaker. And he got saved. And he went on to become a pastor and even a professor. He was the professor at the Conservative Baptist Theological Seminary in Denver. Ralph and his wife Nan served God for more than 44 years together. Sometimes people would ask him if his eyesight bothered him. And he'd say, oh no, God wants me to see through his eyes. Well, that just doesn't sound like a natural, honest thing, does it? I, you know, kind of radar kind of goes up when someone says like that. No, God wants me to see through his eyes. But it was true. But the reason it was true is because his attitude had been developed over time through a troubled heart, God brought him to that place. And he explains it. He says that he was in the library studying. And if you're studying in the library, that means that you're reading. And you have to have your eyes to read. And if you don't have good eyes, you can imagine how difficult and laborious it would be to try to read and study to prepare. Uh, you know, he went, to, he went to school. He pastored, so he had to put together messages. He was a professor, so he had to put together lessons for his classrooms. He needed his eyes. And so we can imagine what's going on in his mind while he's studying one evening in the library. And he says that when it happened, the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. Now, you and I can't prove that that really happened, but he's saying it is true. It changed his life. He said the Holy Spirit said, Kiefer, I'm going to read this without saying it wrong. He says, Kiefer, what is the chief end of man? And he said, well, that's easy. That's the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. He says, well, is that your chief end? Of course. And then the Holy Spirit asks him, which would you rather have? 
perfect eyesight or the privilege of glorifying me? And then his answer was much slower. And he said, to glorify you. And he said, well, then why worry about the means I have chosen to have you glorify me? This is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, in me, through me, glorify your name. And the instant he did that, he confirmed, he, he told the disciples how he was feeling, what was getting ready to face him. And you can just imagine after the cross and the resurrection and the, you're a disciple and you're, you're an apostle and you're reflecting back on everything that happened and everything Jesus said and all of the things that he went through. And you begin to understand, because remember after the resurrection, Jesus opened their minds and they understood the scriptures. So it's just like, wow. You know, so you can just imagine as they look back on it and they thought, wow. Jesus was facing all of that. His heart was a, a mess. And he was faithful and he remained loyal to the Father. He said, Father, can me glorify your name? And he confirmed that in front of them. He showed them what it's like to maintain his priority as he was working through his feelings. And the minute he did it, boom, the Father spoke from heaven. Well, let's read on through the rest of our text. We have a little bit more to go. We're going to read 29 through 36. We're going to find out what happens after God the Father spoke. The crowd standing there, verse 29, the crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? They obviously knew he was talking about the cross. Well, who is the Son of Man? It must not be you. Jesus answered, Well, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. Jesus said this, and then he went away and hid from them. Well, from the text here, it sounds like Jesus is the only person who understood the, the voice. Some people thought they heard thunder. Some people thought maybe it was a voice. Maybe that was an angel. This might have been kind of like in the book of Acts when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he was, he was going to Damascus to arrest Christians. And suddenly Jesus appeared to him on the road. And the bright light blinded him for several days. Do you remember? And Saul became Paul, but Saul saw Jesus and Jesus spoke to him and he understood what Jesus said. But the people that were with Paul, they saw the light, but they didn't see anybody. And they heard the voice, but they couldn't understand it. 
Sounds very similar to what's happening here. But somehow, John knew what the Father said. So how does John know? So that leaves us with the possibility of that some of the disciples heard. Some didn't. Maybe they all heard. Maybe just the believers heard. We have no idea. Maybe Jesus told John. Maybe the Holy Spirit illuminated this to him as he was writing. But again, this passage is found only in John. And in this fast action, high emotion week, maybe John was the only one who said, by the way, Jesus, what did God the Father say anyway? We don't know all of that. But we should notice very carefully what Jesus did say. He said, this voice came not for me, but for you. Well, at first that doesn't make a lot of sense because how could it be for them when they didn't understand it? The reason God spoke when, when Jesus confirmed his, his allegiance to the Father, glorify me with, with this cross. Glorify yourself through this cross. But the minute Jesus said that, the Father spoke. And what He was doing, you guys, is He was... God was confirming to everyone. All of us looking back on this, to everyone. God was confirming that it was His will for the Son of Man to go to the cross. Well, Jesus tells us that if I am lifted up, if I am lifted up from the earth, if I am lifted up on the cross, if this happens... There's a couple of things that are going to happen. There's two things that are going to happen. And those two things are going to separate two different kinds of people. The two things that are going to happen is he says, God is going to judge his enemies. And the other thing that's going to happen is, God is that Jesus is going to draw all people from all nations to himself. Those two things distinguish between two different kinds of people. Two different groups of people. There's no middle ground. You fall into either one. We all do. God's enemies will be judged. God is going to judge sin and death. The world, the world system, not the planet Earth, but the world. This worldly way that we live our lives without God. And He's going to judge the ruler of this world, which of course is the devil. Now, Sin is still here. So is death. And the, the world system, we're all living in it. That's still here. And, and Satan is alive and well on planet Earth as well. But their fate was sealed. At the cross, they were defeated permanently. And so it's only a matter of time before God removes their power. And it's only a matter of time before God removes their presence. Remember, when you die, you're still going to be you. You're just going to change locations. You're not going to be in your body anymore. Still going to be you with your memory and your experiences, your feelings. It's still you. So, Satan doesn't quit existing any more than a lost person quits existing. But they're going to be removed. Those who live for God are going to be removed and spared and freed from the power and the presence of sin and death in the world and the devil and evil.
somebody, a pastor, one time give the example of, of uh, swatting a wasp with a fly swatter. And even though the wasp falls on the ground and it's dying, it can still steam. And the other thing we see here is that Jesus says that he's going to draw all people to himself. Not every person, but people from all nations will be drawn to him. It's talking about the people who are going to be saved. The ones who are going to be rescued from the above judgment. That's what it's talking about. And then he starts talking about the a daytime. Uh, and he starts comparing himself and the time he's there with them and the time he's getting ready to leave with daylight. The sun during the day. You know, there's only limited hours in a day when there's sunlight. And so he begins to talk about that. And why is he doing that? It's because he's talking to unbelievers. He's talking to people who haven't committed their lives to Christ or they're not living right and they know it or they're wrestling with these things or they're just too stinking philosophical. They're just, they're just too smart for all of us. You know, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus is offering salvation one more time. And he's doing it by making this picture about the light. What he's trying to say is that if you are lost, if you are an unbeliever, if you haven't committed your life to Christ yet, if you've never done that, you never know when that last opportunity to do that is going to come. You never know. But once it's come and gone, you're in the darkness. You missed it. It's the idea of someone knocking on your door and you don't answer it and they walk away. Well, if they don't come back and knock on the door again, game over. So if God knocks on your door when you're 43 and He doesn't get it back around because you missed your visitation, you may live to be 86, but He never knocked on your door again. You never know the hour of your visitation. You never know when it's your last opportunity. Now, obviously, you can accept Christ with your last dying breath. If He's drawing you to Himself, if He's knocking on your heart. The picture here is... Uh, I got him out of order. My clicker. He says, the light you have with you only a little while. It's dark. We uh, we stumble around. You know, we we all know what it's like to be at home, where we know where everything's at, and then all of a sudden you turn out the lights and we can't see anything. All of a sudden our eyes are wide open, our hands are out in front of us, and we walk right into the wall. When we we know where the wall is, we know where the door is, but we we can't see it. It's dark. Jesus is saying, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be lost and stumbling around blind. Because believers are unique, sons of light, as he calls them here. We have something that nobody else has because the light is always with us. It's incredible. Let me go back to this one. See, Christians, you have placed your faith in Christ, and so it's only a matter of time before you will be free from your sin nature. 
And in the meantime, what God wants to do with us is He wants to plant us, He wants to grow us so that we bear fruit. This is God's plan. Now we can resist His plan. That's why there's so many warnings and commands in the Bible. Because we can resist. But it's not the wiser move. In our passage here this morning, Jesus has shown us what the example is. He showed us what it's what it looks like to do what you should do instead of what you sometimes may not want to do, even in the worst of times. Let's pray.